you can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle, we don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning, download the app, give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Wenig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Hello and welcome to Cause and Effect. This is Heather Winnig, and I'm joined for this episode by Laura uh, Spillman, brand new Spillman. Hey, I now have my <laughs> new last name. Yay. Um, so we're going to talk um, a little bit today on in the theme of the image of the child. We've done one episode about this already, um, but this is something that sits kind of heavy on my heart sometimes, that... Um, when I when I hear the way we talk about children, um, or the the negative attributes we we assign to them, so Laura found a great quote from um, PITC. Laura, what is PITC? PITC is the Program for Infant Infant and Toddler Caregiving. Um, it is a division of WestEd. Hmm? Um, they have been around for more than twenty five years. Um, Professionally, they changed my life when I went through PITC training in, I believe it was 2000, um, when I was working with uh, Early Head Start, and part of the requirements for child development specialists is to go through the PITC training, and um, it's very intensive. It is a week long, but it is solely focused on infant and toddler caregiving practice in all avenues. So Mm -hmm. caregiving practices, daily routines, understanding infant toddler development, including, you know, temperaments and social emotional development, um, the very important role of the family, um, working with infants and toddlers with disabilities. Um, And, and the, the goal is, is that you would, take this information and you train people. So it's, it's, it's a train the trainer. Yeah. And I've always been really envious because I've never been able to do the, well, the and PIT I got lucky training. to go through it twice in my career. So yeah. once as a uh, director of a early head start infant toddler program. And then again, as the infant toddler specialist. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I went through it again that I actually became a certified PITC trainer, which means that I took this information, I developed training plans around it, turned it in, and then got certi- certified in all four modules. So um, PITC is near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend it for anybody working with children, not even just infant toddler, because the information is so relevant and so yeah. helpful in caregiving practices because they're really, when I think about the image of the child, PITC comes up for me immediately because right. their whole philosophy is about understanding that image of the child through all these different avenues, through your relationship, right. through your, through the families, through their culture, um, through everything. So, um, so this, this whole topic of image of the young child is so important to our practice. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I love the way I love the respectful, yes. um, the respectful image of the child yes. that, that PITC really supports. Um, they're very driven by Magna Gerber. She was, right. um, she was an integral part of PITC development. Yeah. Um, Ron Lally, who is the, the co-director, co-founder with Peter Mangione, um, has a wonderful um, interview with, with, with her. And uh-huh. she, again, is one of those people that really helped me understand infants and toddlers. Cause clearly, even though I had been in the field for nearly 15 years, when I started there, I clearly <laughs> knew nothing about infants and toddlers. I knew nothing uh-huh. about the way that they function, about the way that they develop, how very different it is than preschoolers and, I really, honestly, talk about bad practice. Um, I really was good at kind of watering down the curriculum so it would meet yeah. the needs of infants and toddlers, and that's so not okay. <laughs> right, but I but I think that's a very typical, it is a very typical. Um, response to working with toddlers. I did the yeah. same thing. I thought, what do I recognize as teaching? Okay, well, it's this preschool stuff, right. so how can I water it? dumb it down for for these little ones instead of instead of going what do these children need from me at this stage in their development they have such different needs than what you would see in a three to five year old classroom and as a toddler teacher in Colorado um and my first toddler teaching experience as a full-time you know lead teacher in a toddler room brand new program and I went in there and I set it up like a like a three-year-old room and it was a yeah. nightmare. I left crying every day. I'm like, what <laughs> is going on? These kids are crazy. I, and my director finally came in, and she's like, this would make a great three-year-old room. <laughs> but this yeah. is not going to work for you. And, and I, you know, this was 1997. Mm-hmm. And really the only resource I had at that point would have been um, my creative curriculum for infants and toddlers which was very helpful and it's, 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 it was great. And I used it a lot. Um, but my cats are getting ready to take my coffee I hear you. and <laughs> they, I'm asking them I to please them. exit stage left. So yeah. anyway, um, yeah. so that's, well, you know, that's where I, a little bit of that, where that's where a lot of um, this passion of mine comes from is, yeah. is just that first experience that I had and I just, I did it wrong and I did it poorly <laughs> and it's because I didn't know. No, we just call that before you knew better. It, it is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's a very classic, yeah. yeah, this is just before I knew anything. Before you knew better, yeah. So um, the quote is, um, for this episode, is being fair to infants does not mean treating them all the same, (laughs) which I I love. It's simple. It's not very long, but it's right to the point, and it speaks truth. Yeah. Um, which, and it reminds me of, you know, I, I say this, this phrase a lot when I'm talking to people who work with young children, fair is not always equal. Exactly. It's not, it's not the same thing. And maybe you've seen too, there's, um, well, maybe I'm, there's a graphic that kind of goes around on Facebook every now and again mm-hmm. of children trying to look over a fence and, um, they're standing on different levels of boxes. Right. Each box is labeled with whatever, you know, the barrier or the circumstances right. that keep them. And, um, 
and so that's not fair right you know even though it, but anyway i i just really like this especially in thinking about infants and toddlers mm-hmm. we've we've come a long way as a field in be, in terms of being able to find resources i agree to help infant toddler teachers but i think it's still really hard it is for, for them a lot to of the, the conferences get what they need that i go to when i ask you know what is it that you need and all the time it's oh my gosh we need more infant toddler we need yeah. more infant toddler i think um, we're really good at the, you know, transition ideas for three to five year olds and, yeah. <laughs> and hand clapping and make your music yeah. time exciting and science <laughs> with a bang. And I, we're yeah. really good with that. And with infants and toddlers, that stuff just simply does not translate down to them. It just does not. And, and it's, and not again, it's need. about understanding infant toddler development and where they are. And, and they, they are so engrossed in those routines, and and as an administrator now, uh, and, and I did it as a, as a caregiver. You get you really are just meeting those basic needs throughout the day. You are constantly right. diapering and feeding and putting them to sleep and 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 helping them transition into the classroom and then greetings at the end of the day. And and it, it is a very hard flow. It yeah. is a very hard flow, and I think. When you understand that quote about treating them fairly doesn't mean the same, it really goes to in individuality and individualization. Right. And I, I, with infants, more than any other age group that I see people working with or talking about, I see more of that um, clinging to folk wisdom rather than really processing what we're learning about child development oh my gosh and yeah. really basing practice on our well, cultural folk wisdom about babies said, yeah. yeah and and not that anyone has bad intentions about right. it but I just see it more often with babies and it's it comes down to that individualization mm-hmm. um, suddenly they're in a group and we're afraid that if we do primary care or individualize their schedules or, you know, look for their cues before we feed and all that stuff that they'll be spoiled. They'll be spoiled or, you know, that's not the routine I'm trying to get the whole group in. Right. Yeah, it's too hard for the grown-ups sometimes. Yeah, and, you know, group care is not natural. It, it, it is not. I think family child care yep. does an excellent job providing more of a natural atmosphere for young children but when Mm -hmm. you look at center-based care and the way that they're grouped together unless you're doing mixed age groupings Mm -hmm. it's just not natural to have 10 one-year-olds together right and it's very difficult but thinking about what you just said with the kind of hearkening back to well that's not what I did (laughs) or what my grandmother did or Mm -hmm. I, I got that all the time in safe sleeping practices trainings Oh, sure. That, com- that still has changed so much over. Mm-hmm. And, and this really does when we think about the quote and then we think about sleeping practices. Oh, my gosh. Every child has a different way that they self-soothe or transition into into sleeping. Mm-hmm. And with with the whole, you know, back to you're back to sleep, safe to sleep. Um, when you put them in a classroom, it's it's light in there. There's all kinds of noises. Mm-hmm. It's in a crib that, and we know that we need to do this, and this is what's safe, and, and I <laughs> get that, but it's on a, you know, white sheet that probably doesn't smell like their house. It's tough. It is really, mm-hmm. really tough. And 
you know, I understand that, no, that's not what we've always done. And yes, I'm 48 and I was probably put on my belly to sleep. <laughs> but because we know more now, we don't do mm-hmm. those things anymore. Right. You know, you know I, my... didn't, I didn't have a car seat either. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, take my kids and don't put Berkeley in a car seat and we're going to have a big problem. Right. Because we yeah. know more now. And right. that's that's hard to convey sometimes. It's very hard to convey. And so putting children to sleep is another great example of there's many different ways that we can do this, but then still do it in a safe way. Right. I think about, because Curtis is 23, Josie's 21. Um, and when Curtis was a baby, he had a big old comforter in his crib and all kinds yeah. of stuffed toys. And the cat slept with him most nights. <laughs> and, and with Josie, if, if she slept in her car seat on the floor next to my bed and I put my hand on her tummy, she'd sleep all night. But no one ever said, you know, that was a long time ago. We never had this information. So once I was presented with safe sleep research, mm-hmm. I had a choice right. to either say, um, well, my kids were fine, so I'm not going to acknowledge this research. Or, thank God my kids are fine, because this research is real. Right, right. <laughs> um, so we have we have a choice, and it comes down to that folk wisdom versus child development. Right. I think, and, you know, we can't tell parents what to do at home. All we can right. do is give them the information. And right. if a family chooses to co-sleep, all I need to do is respect that decision, mm-hmm. and then I control the environment that I have control over, and that's when my with you. environment. And, and sleeping is a learned behavior. Yeah. But tapping into the child's individuality and, you know, Susie needs to be rocked to sleep with a T-shirt that smells like her mom, and I can rock her to sleep like that, and then I can very gently lay her down, and, and she's fine. Johnny, mm-hmm. however, actually, I can lay him down in the crib on his back. He rolls to his side and falls asleep on his own. I, I can meet those needs, mm-hmm. but just because I have to lay all babies down on their back, which we know is what we're, we're supposed to do as a licensed child care, doesn't mean we have to put them all to sleep the same way. In the same way, yeah. So I think that well, that's and, just another good example of of the quote. Um, yeah. And the whole, um, uh, you know, if, if we pick them up every time they cry. Yeah, that's not uh, fair to everybody else. That's not fair to everyone else. And to me, that what, what that's saying to me is that you see this baby as a manipulator. Right. That you see this baby as someone who, first of all, has the cognitive development necessary to maliciously manipulate manipulate right. you, right? <laughs> but but that's that's going into this interaction with a negative idea about what that baby's trying to do, and and that goes much deeper too when we already form those kinds of feelings about this child that every yeah. time they cry they just want to be held and I'm sorry right. I don't have time to do that. What is and that why is that feeling? a negative and, thing? And yeah, why is that okay? <laughs> right. Y- yeah. You know, if I go into a classroom. And a baby is crying, and I know they need to be picked up, and I have the ability to do it. Guess what? I'm picking up that baby. Right. And, you know, I may not be able to stay in there that long um, if I can. Sometimes I take babies, and I just walk around for a little bit just to give them a breather. And and that's to benefit the child and sometimes to even benefit the the teaching staff, you know. Right. Give them a little break. Yeah, if I can do that. Um. But nothing, there's nothing written anywhere saying you can't sit on the floor and be, feed a baby on the floor with a bottle and have this other baby close to you with your 
hand on their belly. They right. just need that yeah. that touch. It's maybe not yeah. that you need to pick them up, but maybe they right. just and need to be close to you to know that, you know what, I'm okay in this weirdo yeah. space. You know, yeah. with and eventually your voice may be yeah, all that they need. Yeah, and your voice may be the only thing that could comfort me right now. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, and and hopefully eventually they get. You know, you're busy with somebody else, but but I'm gonna trust that you're gonna be with me in just a minute. Yeah. So so I have a I have a question for you. Yes. Um, because I've been thinking about this okay. for a while now. Does it seem to you, or have you experienced, um? that often childcare programs and not so much homes because you don't have the choice of what staff go with which right. children in a family childcare home, but in a, like a center setting, we sometimes put the least qualified staff with the infants because we feel like anyone can rock and change diapers. I think that that is a common practice. I will mm-hmm. say that that is not my practice. Oh, sure. No, I know. Right, right. But, I think but just that, in, I think you know, because you've been in the field a long time. to work in this classroom. And, and I don't even think it's, I, I do think that there's not, I, I do think that, that that understanding of infants and toddlers is still, we're still working on that. Right. And and I do think that administrators, and I feel it too. I'm, I'm, I, I get it, 100%. <laughs> that sometimes we do say, you know what? Um, it may be a little bit easier in the infant room because they can kind of rock them and put them to sleep, or this person has a, a nurturing piece about them because they raised 12 kids or whatever, <laughs> and and that doesn't always translate like that because again. Right. Group care is not the most natural. And I think, and we try, we try to make Uh it more natural, I think, with Uh our environments and that kind of thing. But still, 10 infants in one room, or eight infants in one room, or 10 toddlers in one room, it's not ideal. And and that's why NAEYC has these guidelines for staff (laughs) ratios to be smaller. PITC's guidelines for ratios are infants three to one and toddlers four to one. Uh-huh. Max group of six with infants, with toddlers, it's a max group of eight. Uh-huh. I mean, just having two children not in that group makes a really big difference. But so so let's take this, this person who's nurturing, that maybe their experience is more because they've raised a family, uh-huh. um, they interviewed well, you put them in the classroom, and yeah, they're great at rocking that baby, but then two other babies start crying, and it's like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I just see so often, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about 25 years of of experience. Right, so right, I right. I don't want anyone listening being like, "Ooh, who's she talking about?" Yeah. This, this is like, yeah, this is over 30 years of over 30 years yes. in a couple different states. But um, I see so often um, the the desire just to get just to get the the room on, and you sort of touched on this, on a routine right? to where it's predictable and you kind of can plan out and, you know, you decide who's going to need what when they, and when. Um, but, a, you know, just a very basic introduction to infant toddler care would tell, or development would tell you that that's not what they need, mm-hmm. even though it's easier for the adults to, to manage, um, it's not fair. You know, right. if we're going to get back to the quote, it's it's not fair. Well, and this to, is where having, and this is, this is where I have conflict. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to have lesson plans, right? <laughs> and in an infant room, that lesson plan doesn't really work. You know, they so so ideally what we want is that we're planning on an individual basis. Right. And we're planning around a child's, you know, we're planning around that routine. So another PITC quote that, that I love, and this isn't the exact quote, but this is the gist, is that, you know, infants have their own curriculum. Infants, their routine is the curriculum. They are the right. curriculum in and of themselves. That we can't just open up a book and have this plan and plan for infants for a week because you can plan experiences, uh-huh. you know, or like what I call the gosh darn parent pleasers, you know, like a <laughs> or GDPPs as, as I like to call it. Um, you can plan those out, but do I recommend really doing those kinds of things on a regular basis? Absolutely not. We're too busy. Right. Well, I think a big piece of the curriculum with the age group, too, is changes in adult behavior and language. Mm-hmm. You're planning more for yourself. Right. Um, you know, like, I'm trying to think of an example, because we just redid our curriculum planning processes um, at our with our programs. But, like, um, you know, we're not going to arbitrarily interrupt a baby who's engaged in play just because the uh, marker board says it's time for a diaper check. Right. You know, stuff like that, yeah. or we're gonna we're gonna use um, lots of of language yeah. about you know whatever, and so a lot of of that curriculum planning, lesson planning for this age group, I feel like should be more planning for the grown-ups to do to change and do things differently. I agree. Um, than things we're going to have the babies do, right? Which which is a difficult transition too, especially if you're used to working with older children, right? It is, My first job, oh, go ahead. It, no, it is a very difficult transition. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the idea of um, moving children as large groups, mm. and that, I think, for all age groups. Right. It's so institutional. Oh, I, I'm just so not a fan of doing yeah. that, and, and, yeah. and I haven't been for a long time, but that's a hard, that's a, that's a hard one for teachers too. For me, it was very, very difficult. It was very difficult. And it's because it's part of teacher culture. So we feel like if we're teachers, these are the things that we need to do. And we don't always stop and say, why are we doing it this way? We just say, and and the child can get just as much benefit, if not more, if not more (laughs) benefit Mm -hmm. from doing it in smaller groups. And and that's another part of PITC philosophy too, is that um, you know, small, small groups, you know, ratios, um, you know, having small group experiences for other children um, is a big part of, of PITC culture. Um, but it's very difficult, you know, especially in, you know, large child care centers, you know, we got to max out those ratios because there's yeah. just not a lot of monetary benefit. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it's, it's very Especially hard. with that age group. Head Start programs can do it very successfully. And I, I you know, I raise my hat to them. Um, so hmm. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. I wanted to go back for just a minute to the, to the conversation about the routine yeah. being the curriculum. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, my one of my first jobs, well, my first lead teacher job was with two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have heard me tell this story before, but we had 24 two-year-olds. Oh, my God. Yeah, and oh. four grown-ups. 
Yeah, um, which was well within the ratios for that place at that time um, and group size. But so we had four adults. And one of the things I was proudest of was how fast I could get kids through diapering. And it was sort of an assembly line thing. And boy, when I read, and I think it was um, a book called Infants, Toddlers, and Caregivers by Janet Gonzalez-Mena. Diane Widmeyer-Eyer maybe is the other one. When I read that, and and the idea was presented to me that those routine times are not what you rush through to get to the real learning, but those routine times with infants and toddlers were the learning, mm-hmm. and that was opportunity for one-on-one and relationship building and respectful interactions and stuff. Man, that changed my life yep. <laughs> and and took a burden off of me. Yep. Like Like once I realized that that those times that we spent so much those things we spent so much time with was okay to spend more time with yeah and valuable to spend more time with that that was a relief for me i have two two things to speak to that one is caregivers understanding what the licensing regulations actually say versus what we think what they, we think say they say or what they've been told that they say uh, so read them. Yeah, you have to read them. It doesn't say that you have to change a diaper every two hours. You gotta check. Check. But you don't which have can be to. done in you very don't have to change them every two hours. Yeah. So there's that. Then the yeah. other one is just kind of a story when I was um doing mentoring with a family child care provider. And I was I was watching her routines and and um, she was in one of my trainings and I'm like I hope you don't mind that I bring up the story but it really talks about this idea that we you know infants have their own curriculum through the routines that we do every day and so it was a five-month-old that was on a changing table and um, they had this little thing that they would do afterwards where she would stand the baby up and she had a mirror and they would look in the mirror. They do this little dancing thing and she would say, all done. <laughs> so one day the mom came early and this is while I was there and the mom took over the diapering routine and the mom picks up the baby after the routine is over and walks away. So what does the baby do? The baby <laughs> kind of starts fussing and crying a little bit. And the caregiver, I mean, it was beautiful. The caregiver's like, oh, well, hold on, that you forgot to do something that I do every day. <laughs> she goes over, finishes that routine, and then and then the baby's okay and, and walks away. And, and I said, that is what I'm talking about. So how can we take this very predictable, loving, diapering routine, and how do we translate that into this? quote unquote, educational opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, so in training, what we do is I have them build experiences based on that. Like, how do we expand on language? How do we maybe add to it as the baby gets older? So there's a lot there. And that for that caregiver was the light bulb moment. She was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, they have a deeper understanding then of of the importance of the work that they're right. doing. I mean, I said, that is predictability. That yeah. baby knows exactly what's going to happen because you're talking her through it. Uh-huh. You've got this routine within the routine. And that baby, you know, at this point kind of expects it now. Mm-hmm. And I said, what a wonderful way to bond. And, and, yeah. and that's 
what needs to be reflected on an individual plan. Right. So it, it's also taking the time to really observe your children and know what they like and what they don't like and uh-huh. what their temperaments are. Yeah, there's a, yeah. I mean, there's so much to infant toddler care. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I like to, so I, I like to, whenever I can try to think of examples from adult life to, to give some perspective. Yeah. So I was trying to think about that for this quote, and I don't have anything really specific. Oh, Nothing I came didn't. up. But, oh, good. Well, hold on. Okay. <laughs> but I just I think about how often we as adults accept, you know, so for example, you're not supposed to be late for work. That's the rule. You're late for work one day, and um, you ha- but you have a good story, a good reason, so you think that you should be given a pass. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around into your classroom and suddenly everything has to be equal for all children. Yeah. <laughs> when we just tried to make a case for fairness as we see it for our own behavior in the office with our boss as a little a bit ago. I actually carry that quote pretty near and dear to my mm-hmm. heart. You know, that right. not, as I think you should. Yeah. yeah. I mean I Yeah. Not every rule um yeah, it, it's it's nearly yeah. impossible. To be quote, right. unquote, fair. To be, to be fair, yeah. Because everybody so, has everybody has a story, and right. we've talked about that one. Yeah, and you know there, yeah. Yeah. So, what are your examples? You said okay, you had. Okay, so my example is, and this is this is a little bit more about respect, but and I mm-hmm. say this in training, that, and people laugh all the time. Fits. You probably know what I'm going to say, <laughs> and people okay. laugh because it's funny when I say it, but but it's true. So. Mm-hmm. If a child poops in your classroom, we feel the need to announce it to everybody. Who pooped? Oh, my gosh. Someone's saying, who pooped? Who did it? Who's that? Who's there? And then we go around and, like, either pick up kids and smell their butts. Right. Or Or just yank their pants away. out to look inside. Now, let's say I'm sitting in a training (laughs) and somebody farts. Am I going to say out loud, oh, my God, who farted? Who did that? And then walk around the table and, like, Selling sniff people. their butt? Yeah. Like, or, people or would be outraged. A, a runny nose? Am I going to be like, oh, my God, that is so gross, and, yeah. and walk behind them and wipe their nose? Right. Somebody Just grab their forehead the and push it back? I yeah. would get punched in the face. Yeah. And, and probably sued for defamation of character. I don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, I think about that all the time. And a former boss of mine, we used to talk about doing a staff meeting where we just walked in and started talking to the staff the way we heard them talking to children. Oh like, gosh, who stinks? Did someone forget their deodorant and just start smelling people? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that no, that's a really so good bad. example. Yeah. Yeah. So Because we wouldn't put up with it no, ourselves. No, we wouldn't. And why do – so why? If, if as adults we're horrified by that behavior, <laughs> why is it okay for us to do it to these mm-hmm. little, our youngest, youngest right. people who have had maybe 12 Mondays? <laughs> why <laughs> right. do we think that that's okay? Like they yeah. have not been on this planet, but just a very minuscule amount. Right. And what does that teach them about their bodies? Yeah. I mean, if we really want to get down to it, you're disgusting. Yeah. yeah, So that's a good example. Um, I use that a lot, too. And you're right. People laugh. But I hope that 
it plants a seed yeah. while they're laughing yep. that this is something to think about. But again, I think that's so cultural. It is. That, it is. That's so habit that it's hard to get out of. But um, I, one of the things I'm really always concerned about with, with children who are in group settings is institutionalization and dehumanization. And I think that sounds really harsh, but, but those are risks. Mm-hmm. We, we start to see them as part of a group mm-hmm. instead of the individual. And that's, I think, when being in a care setting can be more harmful than good, yeah. is if that care setting is not um, individualizing and if, that, if those folks believe that you have to treat them all the same yeah. there. So, so if you had to give some advice to someone who was trying to shift their thinking, what would that be? I think, uh, and this comes from Magna Gerber, just slow down. Mm-hmm. That it really just two words, slow mm-hmm. down. You know, the world is not going to fall apart mm-hmm. if, if, if we just slow down our practice and something doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah. And, and that is hard because I think those Absolutely. rooms, it's a fast, they, it feels like it's a fast pace, but it doesn't need to be. Right. It and it's hard to, to go slow with one baby if three others are crying right. too. So, and, and how do you do that? I think, and I don't have the answer to that, I'm afraid, because mm-hmm. every child is different. Right. And different techniques are going to work with different children. Mm-hmm. The other piece of advice is to get out of, and we talked about this in our other podcast, and I feel like this could be a, a much larger conversation about mm-hmm. the getting ready for syndrome. Oh, yeah. And just really being in that moment. With infants, the getting ready for just doesn't work. You you right. have to be in those moments, and you have to slow down. Right. Uh, the baby feels better. You feel better. <laughs> There's ways to meet the needs of several children at once, even if uh-huh. that's holding two while the other <laughs> caregiver's getting a few done, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I, and I think having good teaching teams is really important, too. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I think just getting back to the the topic, the theme for this one, thinking about what your image of the child is. So maybe paying paying close attention, like when a baby cries, what's your first response? And and thinking that through a little bit, you know, did I did I assume did I get irritated? Did I assume something negative? Did I just say, oh, he needs this? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's a big piece, too, is just really spending some time processing your own thoughts about the children and about those babies so that you can start a process yep. um, of moving in a new direction if you decide you need to, or pat yourself on the back because what you learn is that you really do have a respectful image of the babies right. that you're right. for. Because um, there are lots and lots of really good folks out there working with babies and toddlers. There are, and my hat's off to to every single one of them. It is, yeah. it is a very, it is a very tough, tough, tough uh, room. It is. It really is. Yeah. Is. And especially in a center setting yes. where you don't get that nap time, everybody's sleeping at once so you can breathe a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, at our, at our facility, we do continuity of care. So these, uh-huh. you know, these caregivers stay with the same group of infants for three years. They may move Love physical it. environments, but they don't move mm-hmm. peer groups and they don't move teaching teams. And, and I know that there's always a collective sigh of relief when they all turn one and they start all sleeping <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and I get it. I, you know, I get it. Uh, and we're yeah. lucky that we're able to do continuity. And um, it, it's one of the reasons why I, I took the job there yeah. is because they Love provide it. continuity of care. And, and I see the benefits of it with the children and with the families and with the teachers. Yeah. We'll have to do another episode yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we all know how much I love talking about that. Yeah, primary care and continuity yeah. of care. So, all right. Well, I think we need to wrap this one up because okay. we've been going for a while now. Any last thoughts you want to throw out, though, before we? Just slow down. Yeah, Make slow it easy. down. Good... Yeah, maybe even find some sort of visual reminder, mm-hmm. a sign that says slow down or something that will remind you. All right. Well, thanks, Laura. Thank you. Um, we'll talk again here before too long. Okay. And thanks, you guys, for listening to Cause and Effect again. Have a good day. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.